Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. On today's episode of Tell Me, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Debbie Allen. Debbie is so many things, but she is a master of her craft. She is a choreographer, a director, an actor, a dancer. She owns the Debbie Allen Dance Academy, where she's been teaching young dancers for the past 20 years. Debbie and I have a really fantastic bond, and she's taught me so much about life, so much about spirit, so much about generosity of spirit and positivity. And we had a great conversation. We talk about all things in Debbie's life and, of course, a little bit of grays. I hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Me. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So today, one of my favorite people, besides my kids, obviously, Debbie Allen's here. What's up, Deb? Hey, G, my girl. I'm so excited for you and this whole podcast thing you're doing. And you keep expanding that footprint and giving us ideas. You're giving all of us ideas. I'm happy to be here to talk with you. Thank you. So nobody works harder than Debbie. I don't even think that people realize half of what you do. And I get a window into seeing everything that she does. And it's such an inspiration because every time I think I work a lot, I look at what Debbie's doing, and then I have to push myself harder. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So I'm just going to break down your week. Okay. This is just what I know about your week. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Debbie started the week with Grey's Anatomy and working on Grey's. And we have, you know, scripts to make sure that we get out, make sure they're good and all of that. And then she flew to Washington, D.C. to give Barry Gordy his... His Kennedy Center. I was hosting the medallion ceremony for the Kennedy Center Honors, where he got his beautiful ribbon and medal. But also, while you were in D.C., you met with some other lawmakers. I did. I met with Senator Blunt, who actually took me on a tour inside, down up into the original... Supreme Court room where the Amistad case happened. We sat together at one of the dinners after the medallion, and he realized I had produced the Steven Spielberg-directed Amistad and how long it took me to do it in the journey. And he realized that I was someone who loves books and loves history. So he invited me, and I said, yeah. And so I got up that morning, and I got the most up-close and wonderful tour guide of the Capitol building and that original Supreme Court room that was really amazing for me. And it it was a lot of things because I was looking at it historically about what had happened, certainly in this, this story that I was determined to tell, but also what happened recently a year ago on January the 6th. 
that these were the same halls that the insurrectionists stormed. And it was really something to be in that building. And it's so beautiful. It's as beautiful as Versailles when you go into the Capitol. It's something that belongs to all of us. And I had not been in the Library of Congress even since I was a Howard University student. And I think I hadn't been in the Capitol even since before then. Wow. Yeah, I'm glad you got to squeeze that into your trip because that was not planned. No. That was not a planned part of your trip. But that is the power. I'll just a little anecdote here. The power of Debbie Allen. Everywhere <laughs> you go with Debbie, everybody has a story as to how she's touched their lives and what she means to them. So that's just what happens when you move around and when you go to these places. And so then you landed back from D.C. And she got off a plane, came back to Grey's Anatomy. And then that night, her and I went to the premiere of West Side Story to support Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Because you did do Amistad with him. Mm -hmm. And so talk about that because... Your connection to West Side Story, obviously, you have a connection to West Side Story, and you have a connection to Stephen. So it was a really great night. I got to sit in the audience and not only see a beautiful film, but see Stephen up on stage, call Debbie out and thank her. And Debbie and Stephen have made such significant contributions to Hollywood and to show business and to artists and performers. It was a really nice moment to get to sit and witness and feel that vibration of the applause in the audience for you. <laughs> So talk about that. Wow. Well, that was that was special. I was so happy that we were going to go, and I had no expectation other than to go and see this performance that I was sure was going to be brilliant. I know Stephen is a filmmaker, and he takes something on that's in his heart. That's who he is. He doesn't take on something that eh, might be a good story or somebody that wants him to do something. He takes on something that goes in to him. And he's always loved musicals. When we did Amistad over 20 years ago, oh my God, 25 years ago, maybe, he was talking about the rights to West Side Story then. But Jerome Robbins wasn't having it, honey. He was not having it. And so time passed. And then I guess, you know, reason prevailed because if something is that strong and that dynamic, that it is a classic, that means a classic means that it ought to be revisited that it will last the test of time, that it will be rediscovered by more and more generations. So that he wanted to do this, I was so excited that he was doing it. And I had played Anita in the definitive revival on Broadway with Sondheim, Arthur Lawrence, Jerome Robbins, Leonard Bernstein, all of them, Peter Gennaro, who actually choreographed that original America that was so loved, that Cheetah Rivera. And Cheetah even came to help me rehearse. So I had a real history with West Side Stories being one of my favorite musicals that I ever performed in. Then Vivian, my daughter, was with me. She performed Anita. I flew to Paris to see her play this part. One New Year's Eve, it was the most glorious trip of my life. And so here we were coming back with West Side Story and Steven Spielberg, who I will always call him my Obi-Wan Kenobi, because when I was trying to do Amistad, honey, everybody was letting me in their office, but child, they were very quickly ushering me out when they knew <laughs> this was about slavery and the Supreme Court. They were like, uh-uh, honey, is it a musical? I'm like, honey, calm down. Anyway, so Steven 
jumped in with me. Wasn't afraid of it. He was not afraid of it. You know, this is what excited me about him because he had done Schindler's List. And when I saw Schindler's List, I knew this would be the man that would understand why we have to tell this story and what it would mean. So Laura McDonald, who was one of his main executives at the time with her husband, Walter Parks, arranged for a meeting with me and Stephen. And we were, they said, you have 10 minutes. I went in the meeting with him. I was in there for an hour and a half because he asked me about everything. And I had done so much research and it had taken so long. I knew everything. And oh my God, I knew we were going to make the movie and we did. And it was glorious. And so I wanted to support him in this effort. And I knew it was going to be amazing. And it was. Oh, my God, it was so glorious. But when he mentioned me from the stage, it truly did give my heart a thrill, gave me a moment of just glory for a minute to be a part of his tribe of people who have been important to him. And certainly on this journey to Westside, I was just more than flattered. I was honored. I, too, share in that generosity of spirit that he always has. You know, he discovered me as well and really was a huge supporter of mine at the beginning of my career. So I'm right with you there. What stands out to me most about this conversation right now that I want everyone to understand is that it took you 18 years of pitching Amistad before you got a yes. You got 18 years of no, and you just said that Stephen had the idea for West Side Story then. Yes, that long ago. That was also 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, and reinvention is something that's so important. It's something I talk about. Reinvention is something that you and I are constantly engaged in with Grays. Yes. That is our journey. Everybody else involved in the making of the show, we are constantly on a journey of how do we continue to reinvent this show and give the show an evolution that's interesting to the audiences. But just to wrap up my last thought, 20 years, both thoughts. Debbie Allen, it took her 18 years of no's to get a yes on Amistad. And Steven Spielberg had been thinking about making West Side Story for 20 years. And neither one of them gave up on their passion for the idea. They kept going. So if you're passionate about ideas, then you have to stick to your truth and don't let a no ever get in your way. That's such a great analogy, G. Of course you would think of that. I didn't even think of that till you said it. That's so beautiful. Yeah. You have to know when something is really in your heart and in your mind, it might take a little time. But, you know, ideas are like your children. You never give up on your children. They're always your children. They're always your babies, even when they turn 40 and you're 70. That's <laughs> that's where it is. So that's a, a really good analogy to stick with it and, you know, get to that finish line, even if it takes a longer time. Right, because it is. it sounds cliche to say, but really is true. I guess cliches exist for a reason sometimes. You know, it's about the journey. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, where you end up is important, but the journey is equally as important. And that's important to remember, especially when I think times are super tough. It's important to remind yourself that things are happening for a reason. You're getting a no for a reason. Timing's not right. Mm -hmm. You know, and if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to be said for perseverance and positivity and optimism but also timing and what's meant to be are important things to always keep in mind as well. Well said, my dear. Very well said. Yep. So what else is up? Right now we are on 
episode 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On 10. They're writing 11. Prepping 11. We'll come back to that after our break. This is such an interesting year. Last year was so amazingly dynamic. And who could foretell that that was going to be how it happened? Talk about timing meant to be. You got Patrick Dempsey to come back to Grey's Anatomy. That was huge. And you brought that to our head writer, Krista Vernoff, and you all engineered a whole nother world that the audience just broke the internet over every week to week to week. You know, COVID is such a reality for everyone and certainly as a medical show. We went into it. You said it right before we even shut down that we have to address this. And you were so right about that. It gave us such rich stories to tell and pulled in the audience again from all over the world. All over the world, COVID has been the big stick that we have to fight against, the big enemy. And it was just beautiful what happened with your character last season. So I think the audience doesn't quite even know how involved you are with what happens on our show. I mean, getting Patrick Dempsey to come back was enormous. You all spent time together. You know, there was all this talk about what happened when he left, all of that. But at the end of the day, family is still family. You all are family. It was great. Yeah, love always wins, in my opinion. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I feel like it's kind of weird, to be honest. I know that, you know, we've had so many discussions about the world has had enough of COVID and we can't continue to tell stories about COVID. But I do have to say there's been many times on set where I just feel like, wow, it's a bit odd to not be playing any COVID at all. We're we're playing this season, season 18, in a post-COVID world. Chris and I, the other day, were talking about it. This March will be two full years in the beginning of us going into our third. Yeah, and then, you know, COVID is continuing to evolve and come back in different forms. So post-COVID is something we might not know about for quite some time in real life. Right. So these are all things that we talk about Yeah, when we're talking about Grays and the stories that we tell and you know, there's so many things that are important to us, right? We have to be optimistic. We have to give people hope. We have to entertain. We have to bring the sexy. <laughs> Ooh, honey, you brought the sexy this season. Yes, honey. You and Scott Speedman, <laughs> honey. Yes. I was there on set. I saw it. It was a shutdown set. Nobody could come in there. Everybody, it was what we call a, a closed set. That's only the cameraman, the director, and anybody that does lighting has to go away when they're actually shooting. That scene with you all was so hot. I know your husband, see, I had some things to say about that when he saw it. I, what is, I know he had something to say. <laughs> no, no. He didn't actually see that scene. Oh, he didn't see it? No, no. He saw the scene. What episode is the picnic blanket in the park? Oh, that was brave. That was that was episode two. Okay, he saw that one. <laughs> we don't need him seeing anything else. Girl, I'm sure he's going to hear about it because it was hot. I'm telling you. <laughs> It was so hot. 
It was so good, though. You all were natural together. He is such a doll on set, too, Scott Speedman. Such he a doll. Is, he really is. He really you know, is. listen, he's got something. He's got that, like, bad boy kind of thing with the yeah. super cute face. <laughs> it's like a triple threat. He's got a great <laughs> smile, good hair, good eyes, <laughs> a lot of edge, but then he's like a kind person. Yeah, yeah. He's really a kind person. And then recently a father, just recently. He had his first child on our watch, and that was really, we were happy that he had joined that company with all of us as mothers and fathers and parents. It was nice. So Yeah, Grace is a great set to be a parent on. Yeah. Whenever you have a parenting situation or... Anything. Everybody chimes right in with what to do and how to help. And we used to have a running count of like how many babies had been born (laughs) during the run of the show. Oh, my God. You know who I bet would know that? Chandra Wilson. Oh, I bet Chandra Wilson or Meg. Meg is one of our head writers. We call her Megapedia. And she literally knows every Grey's Anatomy fact. Brilliantly so. I mean, she's a walking encyclopedia. She's a walking computer. You can say, well, with this scene that happened in The Breeze, oh, yeah, I know that. That was season 14, episode 1403. She really knows. And that's wonderful to have such an incredible writer that has that kind of history in her, at her fingertips, really as she's creating new stories. It's really fabulous. It's great. No one else can do that. That's her (laughs) superpower, right? We all have our superpowers, our individual superpowers. I mean, Mm. Debbie has a suitcase full of superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Meg really has that superpower. Literally, a couple of weeks ago, which was really interesting and also freaked me out, and I know it's happened to lots of people, which is I was talking about something, and then it showed up on my phone. What? I was pitching a scene with me and a character going for a walk in the woods. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have this scene and hopefully we do it. And five minutes later, I looked down at my phone and I looked at Instagram. I don't know even what Instagram account it was on. I think it was like a Gray's ABC Instagram account. A picture of Derek Shepard and Meredith Grey walking in the woods, which I'm not sure if we filmed it, you know, in Griffith Park or if we filmed it in Seattle. But I immediately texted Meg and I said, I literally just pitched an idea for a scene that I've done before and I didn't even remember that I did it. (laughs) And Meg said, oh, yep, that scene was season this and episode (laughs) this. And I I said... I can't believe, number one, my phone listened to my conversations and was spitting back things at me. That was a lot to digest. And then Meg knew what season and what episode it was. Amazing. Not surprising, though. Amazing. Now, you bring up a caution, honey, about the phone being on your watch of your thoughts or whatever you're thinking. Child, these phones, honey, where are they going, honey? They're talking back to us. You know, on your phone, you can do everything. You can see your surveillance cameras from your home. You can turn the lights on. You can put the alarm on, off. I mean, it's going that way, but it's also coming back the other way. So I just wonder who's watching sometimes. That's what I wonder. I think I saw something on the phone the other day. There's Right now, we're experiencing a pretty serious crime wave in Los Angeles, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that has resulted in the deaths of some beloved members of our community. And- Oof. A lot of bullshit going on, quite honestly. Yeah. But I saw on Instagram that the thieves are getting really clever and coming up with different ways to steal, to rob, to terrorize. 
And one of the things they're doing is putting some sort of like find my iPhone sort of tile on your car. They put it on nice cars and then they watch on their phones where you drive home to. And then they go, you know, if you're driving a beautiful car, that's one way that they say that they track you and they just follow you home and hit you there. Goodness. I know. So like everything, there's good and bad and everything, all this technology. Yeah, Yeah, the technology, this is so broad and so out of control, meaning that it's not just one thing. And people are able to, you know, rightfully so invent things and find new paths and they create an app of their own or whatever their program is. You just don't know. I don't know how we're going to ever keep up with it the way it's going right now. Speaking of technology, one thing that I still cannot get over about West Side Story Mm. was how beautifully shot that movie is. And it made me so nostalgic for a film. We haven't gone to the movies in so long. Mm -hmm. That was my first movie theater Mm -hmm. experience in so long. And years ago, I don't know exactly what year, but I want to say maybe seven years ago, we switched on grays from shooting film to now digital. Yeah. And our whole industry has really gone digital. So there used to be film in the cameras and everything moved, you know, gradually. And I think we were one of the last shows to actually, we had this amazing DP. Yeah, her Rembrandt. Who is sort of the last bastion of, he did not want to transfer over to digital, and rightly so. Like, it just doesn't look the same. The quality isn't the same. And when I watched the movie, I was like, man, I wish we could all go back to shooting everything on film. And when you watch those first 10 seasons or 11 seasons, whatever it is, of Grey's shot on film, it does have such a different quality to it. It's just so beautiful. That is one thing that technology has given and taketh away from us. Yeah, it's something. uh, Stephen is one of the last ones that still shoots film. A lot of people are into the high def 4D of it all, you know, where you shoot a wide shot and you don't even have to shoot the close up. They'll just in post go into the close up. It's really um, saves money, but the quality is not as artful at all. Yeah, West Side is beautifully shot. Janusz Kaminski also shot Amistad. Shoots everything. Shot Catch Me If You Can that I was in. Yeah. Oh, yes, he did. Yes. Tell us about that movie, because I still watch that movie whenever it comes on. What was that like for you with Leonardo and all like that? How was it for you? I mean, you know, so intimidating, as nice as Steven is and as smart as he is. You know, it's intimidating. And I was so young. And because he had seen my first ever acting job, which was a L'Oreal commercial. Oh. That had aired on TV. And, you know, the next day, my agent gets this phone call from Stevens Camp. You know, it's just the things that Hollywood dreams are made of, right? Not that I went on to do anything right away, but just to hear that the commercial aired one night. Wow. And he had seen it. It was like an out-of-body experience. (laughs) And so then this goes back to my previous comment about things take years and years. So I knew that Steven had seen my first commercial they didn't actually end up working with him for eight years. Oh. There wasn't actually a part that I was right for in one of his films for eight years. And I had thought, you know, of course, I did everything wrong. I blew every audition. <laughs> I would cry and kick myself and I blew it. And this guy must think I'm an idiot. You know, every way you can beat yourself up as a young woman, I yeah, did. you did. And then eight years later, I would audition for Catch Me If You Can You know, I was super intimidated, of course, because I always felt like, you know, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And, you know, Leo's one of the greatest to ever do it. Steven's one of the greatest to ever do it. So when you find yourself in that company, 
when you're that young, you know, and that new in this business, I think it was a pretty electric experience, but also, you know, pinch me moment. Like, I don't really belong here. Someone's going to find out I'm a fraud and kick me out. (laughs) I know that feeling, but you totally belong. When we see that movie, you belong. I felt like that when I did Ragtime with Milos Forman. I played the part of Sarah opposite Howard Rollins and James Cagney and all those people. And he and his DP were always talking in Polish. We call them rice check and wheat check. We never knew what they were saying. And they would be arguing and they were arguing one day and I was sure that I was the problem. And I was sitting there and he, I guess Milos could tell because I started to contract and shrivel and he was like, no, darling, it's not you. It's him. It's him. And it was so, wow. So I know what that feels like, but you were so perfect in Catch Me If You Can. Just perfect. Just a tiny, tiny little part. All of those tiny little parts that I was doing is what led me to do Grays because I had gotten some really great opportunities to work with some really important directors and great actors. But at the end of the day, there were always really small parts. And then I met Shonda Rhimes. And then you met Shonda Rhimes. Oh, my God. Woo. <laughs> and Shonda Rhimes offered me a lead role. And it wasn't to play a girlfriend. It was to play the lead role in a smart woman, a doctor. And I had never had anything even remotely close to that come across my desk at all. Everything I was offered was the girlfriend of someone. Yeah. Or, you know, in Daredevil, I was like the secretary. And, you know, that was literally a blip on the screen. (laughs) Even if you don't close your eyes, you'll still miss me in that. But yeah, it was like all of those wonderful experiences is what made me really pay attention to what Chanda was offering me, which was to play a smart woman who's in charge of her life and has a career and has a one night stand. It was like a complete opposite of everything I had experienced in this town up until that point. And I thought, wow, this is certainly something I've never seen before. And here we are. And child, look how that (laughs) turned out. (laughs) Ooh, my Vesuvius came back to life, honey, blew up all over the place. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your 
time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Grey's Anatomy. I watched it so long. And, you know, I'd been directing quite a bit by that time. And I just kept wondering, why am I not getting on that show? What? I want to direct Grey's Anatomy. You know, I kept saying it to my agent. I changed agents at one point. And I looked up, and then I got this offer. I said, child, it's about time. And I was so excited to come. And it was interesting because that was uh, early in the days where sometimes we didn't get a script until almost two days before you would shoot. And I had several days of prep where I didn't have a script yet. So Linda Klein, Sunbeam, as we call her now, head of everything medical on Grey's Anatomy, arranged for me to go see a bloodless bypass surgery. So I went to the hospital and watched a seven-hour surgery. It was unbelievable just to be in the room with those doctors and, you know, just get ready for Grey's Anatomy. I wanted to be ready for y'all. I didn't want to come in there half-stepping. So it's a great show. I'm telling you, I go all over the world because of dance, and now I do it virtually every week. I talk to people in Brazil in China, in Southeast Asia, Africa, name some place. They all watch Grey's Anatomy. I'm telling you, this footprint on this show is enormous. I was in the rainforest in Cuba watching a religious ceremony, being quiet, trying to see some culture. And there was a bicycle group that was coming through the forest. And this woman looked at me and screamed and fell off her bike. And I screamed like E.T., like, ah! <laughs> and I said, what happened? She said, you're Catherine Fox. I'm like, what, <laughs> child? In the rainforest. I thought that was so wonderful. There was no camera rolling at that time. You just have to remember what happened. It was really great. Right. So like Debbie's saying, she travels everywhere. And a lot of her traveling is because of her relationship to the dance world and the performing arts, of which she's so invested. She finds the time, always finds the time. Before COVID, I remember this one day specifically when we had been working so long. We were so tired. It was, I think it was actually around the holidays. And we're really rushing to get these episodes finished before the break. And Debbie was five minutes late. We were waiting for Debbie. And someone said, well, she's been teaching a senior citizen's dance class, you know, in Santa Monica this morning at 5.30. And the class was only 5.30 to 6. So she's driving from Santa Monica and she should be here by 6.45 or 7 a.m. It was some really early. And I thought, <laughs> what? <laughs> she got up at 5.30 this morning and went to teach senior citizens dance? Like, this woman is not even human. But I don't know if people really realize how much you do. And I know I keep saying it, but it's true. And it's just something that you never stop doing. No matter how busy you are, you continue to find the time to mentor directors. You continue to find the time to drag people into dance class. It's really so incredible and inspiring that you not only work on what you need to work on for your career, but you take the time to pull people up 
along with you. Whatever you're doing, you find the time. You're mentoring directors. It really takes an incredible energy. And I think that, you know, sometimes when women have this incredible energy, you know, we're seen as powerhouses or strong or, you know, we get mm. labeled as certain mm. things. Mm -hmm. We know we've been fighting against all of these labels that have been put on women, strong women specifically. But it's interesting to me to see how people receive Debbie's energy. And she's so full of light and love and positivity. But still, strong women are intimidating no matter what. You can pile all the love on top of it that you can because Debbie piles a lot of love on top of her energy. It radiates from her. If you all could see her right now, she's literally glowing. It's crazy. <laughs> and, and yet still, I'm sure you've caught along the way that your strength gets interpreted as something other than positivity. Yeah. And that's something that you, too, you just keep it pushing no matter what. Yeah, we have to... John Hope Franklin told me this. He was the national historian, great man, advisor on Amistad, actually. He told me to always keep your hands on the plow, Missy. Keep your hands on the plow. And I say that all the time. That means you have to do the work. You have to do the work or nothing will grow up out of that earth. And I guess I'm from a big family in Texas. My dad had nine brothers and sisters, and there's four of us, and then a big family of cousins. And, you know, family took care of family. Family was tough on family, but I grew up with that kind of sense. And also I grew up in the 60s where everything was segregated, couldn't do anything. Well, we could do a lot, but we couldn't do certain things that we might want to do. So it's like I didn't even see West Side Story when it came out. It wasn't in our movie theater. You know, I didn't see it until later. But growing up with that sensibility has engineered in me that spirit of doing and sharing and always moving forward. Because I watched my parents and my grandmother and my whole family plow to move forward, you know, and we're just trying to go to a restaurant or trying to go to dance class or trying to vote. So these things our children are growing up with just at their fingertips. I grew up with us fighting for those opportunities, fighting for the opportunity to go to dance class. So I know what it's like to not have. And so I think it's part of my spirit to want to give because I look at those young people and I see myself. I do. I really do see myself. And I know that all I needed was the opportunity. And the Ford Foundation gave me that opportunity. When I was trying to go to Houston Ballet Foundation when I was a kid, and they were not accepting anybody Black, just turn around. It was the Ford grant that I didn't find this out till later that said, if you don't have diversity in your school, we will not continue to fund you. And they found me. I was the first Black kid at the Houston Ballet Foundation. And this was a badge of honor. And it was something we had tried so many years and then years later, when Madame Simonova, by then I had my son Thumpity was with me. We were having lunch, and she tells me, you know, we had to find you. And that kind of took me aback because I was thinking about affirmative action. I'm like, wait a minute, you chose me because I was black? And then she says, no, I chose you because you were good and you happened to be black. And so I believe that. I know that I was good. So I've grown up with a lot of, you know, glass ceilings around me, and we've broken those barriers. We keep going. And so I think it's my nature because of, you know, my dad's daughter. He was a generous man, Dr. Allen. He was always giving. And my mom is 98. She's still giving. 
the poet and the beautiful woman and the great cook. It's impossible for me to make Thanksgiving dinner without having 22 people because there's always so many gypsies that don't have somewhere to go or people that just love my food. It's always a big family thing. So it's kind of in my spirit to do that. And I think that's why women do make great producers because we're used to doing the work. We're used to, you know, letting our ego take a backseat to keep the family going, keep it together. And knowing how to do that, that's a gift that I think is really special for women who have the sensibility to want to do that, that we really are good at it. So I think that I'm just doing my part. That's really how I see it. Because I couldn't be where I am today without the support and the gifts. You know, people have given me opportunities. And I know that that's what's staring these young people in the face is opportunity to train even. How can they ever get there if they don't get the lessons? Or the cancer patients that I'm working with who are challenged with life in a different kind of way. And I will never forget this one student that I have. She's probably 80 years old, and she never thought she would even walk. And there she was dancing. There she was dancing. Oh, my God. It just made me so full that I was able to inspire her that way and for her to thank me for that. Or or the uh, young girl just diagnosed with cancer, has her whole life in front of her and dealing with this challenge. The dancing made her feel equal to it. You know, I just have a lot of different people that I'm dealing with, you know, beyond what we do every day, gee, you know. And I feel lucky to do this work. I feel really lucky to do the work with you. You are so much fun. You have so much joy. You're so sassy. I call her G, honey, because she (laughs) is. She's a G. She walked into the set the other day, and we're all sitting up there going over the dial, music blasting. She got her portable speaker with her, and everybody stopped what they were doing. And, honey, we just started dancing right there. The, The actors, the crew, you bring that energy and that spirit with you every day. And you were full of ideas, which I love. You know, we might have tried to put Meredith in a coma last year, but honey, you were awake. You were alive with ideas. And I'm grateful for that every day. And we have some wonderful actors that we're working with. And, you know, we have great writers who are open to the ideas. That's that's what makes the show great, though, honestly, going back to the show, is the collaboration that everybody can come in and participate, speak out loud, be heard. Things change, evolve, or we start to learn why we ought to do it this way. Let's try it that way. I feel lucky right now. Yeah, team of rivals and collaboration is always the best way around anything. I always feel you want different energies. You want everyone to have their say. You want people to be able to feel free to speak their mind and throw Mm -hmm. out ideas Mm -hmm. because you can take a piece of this idea, a piece of that idea. So the person who obviously inspired me to direct Grey's Anatomy for the first time was Debbie Allen, of course. And the first time I directed, after I did all the prep and I had been in it for a few days and had been directing for a few days, I said to myself, directing is really, it's a few things, but one of the things, most important skills you need is to be able to multitask, to be able to look at many different things at one time and make decisions really quickly. Well, you are a great director. This is for everyone listening. I'm always telling her to get back on her pony. Pony and ride, because as a director, she just brings the full, full 360 degrees view of what it is that's being played to the actors, to the cameras, how they're dressing, 
props, everything. And so she was fantastic. She directed that first episode where Maggie's mother died, Latanya Richards. Oh my God, it was amazing. Just amazing. And we still are thinking about Latanya, this talk about her right now because of that episode. So she did a few episodes as a director, and then she was like, Debbie, this is a lot of work. I have three children now. I have to get I have to go home. So I'm like, okay. But invariably I come on the set and she's got the actor over there going, Well, why are you doing this? And don't why are you thinking about that? And I go, because <laughs> that's my signal that she need to get on her pony. Get on your pony. She's over there directing, telling people what to do. But it's good stuff that she's, I mean, you're you're sharing. It's very generous, actually. I think it's lovely. Yeah, doing the show for this long, thinking about all these things makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Because you have to be super engaged and be paying attention. It's like, it's like the world right now, what I say all the time. If you're not pissed, you're not paying attention. Ha! You know? Mm. And it's the same with the show, I feel like. The only way for me to be there this long is to be fully activated mm-hmm. <laughs> on every level, be looking at everything. I cannot just sort of stand there and passively like, oh, say this, this is what I'll say, and this is my line, and I'll stay here. I have to be activated. All my neurons have to be firing at one time and fully engaged, or I don't deserve to be there. I see that in you. Did you ever think when you started the show that you'd be still doing it after this time? Debbie, no. Did you have any idea? No. Oh, my God. No. And I have to say, I have you to blame. Why are you blaming it on me? (laughs) No. No. Well, maybe I can blame Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, Shonda. Because it's funny. It's like going back to paying attention in life. You need to pay attention to everything, right? And there's been so many times over the course of 18 seasons where I've thought, okay, we've done everything we can possibly do. Mm-hmm. I don't have any more passion. I don't have any more spirit. And one of the times was certainly when you came. Mm. We had gotten to a point where I thought there really is nothing else we can do. And then you had been acting on the show as Catherine Fox, and we had a great relationship But you had been given the role of executive producer and directing producer where you had now a new level of engagement in the show and were really Mm -hmm. basically running things. And I'm so glad that I was open-minded and I really saw you for the gift that you were because I could have very easily been jaded and said, I don't care who comes in, I'm done. (laughs) But instead, like I always listen to Shonda when... You know, she says, just give it a chance. Not that she had to say that about you because I had already known you because you were acting on the show. But whenever she has an idea and when people have ideas, I always try to make sure I give it a chance before I I rush to judgment Mm -hmm. and, you know, judge it quickly. I always try to give things a chance and see for myself. And you coming in, I'm so glad that I was paying attention and that I was open. My mind and my heart were open to receive new energy because at that point, nothing could turn me around. I was like, we have done it. You know, we've done it. We've done it. We've done it. I don't know. Was it season 12? Yeah, it had to be because this is 18. Right. So it was really like this wave that came in and just lifted me right up. You know, obviously we have... Anyone who follows the show and follows me knows how close we are. 
I think it's pretty obvious what chemistry you and I have. Yeah. And I really, really receive you and your energy as a gift in my life because I wasn't necessarily brought up with positivity. I wasn't taught positivity. I, you know, grew up with trauma. And you were really the first person in my life who is super, super positive. I had never really seen an energy like yours before. Oh, wow. I, you were the, really the first woman who ever cared to sort of try to lift me up, try mm. to mentor me, try to encourage me. Wow, oh, my goodness. Before you, I really had not had a lot of very, very obvious vocal support from women. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of criticism. I had a lot of judgment. But you really honestly were the first person to come in and just celebrate me and celebrate my gifts. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I don't mean to, you know, generalize. Of course, there's been lovely people have said lovely things along the way. Yes, I know what you're saying. I just mean like you were the first person who overwhelmingly, glaringly were in my face being so joyful, so positive, pointing out all the amazing things and really gave me that like breath of fresh air that I really needed to go and take this however many seasons we've gone. I know, here we are. My it's God. really been because you and I have so much fun together. Yeah, we do. Even the bullshit that we have to navigate. Yeah, I, Sometimes I we get through it together. And it's not easy. Let's get very real about this for a moment. Mm -hmm. As blessed as we are, yeah. as lucky as we are to get to do what we love, it's very, very hard to make a TV show this long. There's a lot of personalities. A lot mm -hmm. of things happen. And we have a lot of challenges to navigate on a regular basis. Yeah. Because of our chemistry, we are able to get through that stuff Together, yeah. I, I could never, ever, ever do the show without you. I couldn't. I really couldn't. Oh, please. That is so flattering. That's sweet of you to say that. But, you know, what would the show be without you? You are the spoke around which this wheel really turns. You know, every week when I talk to people and I say, who's your favorite cat? Meredith Gray. Meredith Gray. And I'm not just saying that. That's really a fact. But also, because you live and breathe this show has, you know, become what it is through you and through your character and what all you represent. You represent a lot to the people in the world. And that's very powerful. And that should be nurtured and protected. And, you know, you still have room to grow. We all do. We have room to grow, try things, listen. We have to always listen. And you always do. You always have great ideas. So I've had a wonderful time being here with you and this entire company, but to keep this energy. It's kind of, you know, what Shonda said to me when she first asked me to come. She says, you know, the company needs your energy. She said that to me. She said, they need your energy. You could make this a happy place. That's what she said. And I was excited. <laughs> yeah, she's really a, a savant in that way. Yeah. You know, when she says something like that and she pegs a person, you know, no one can sort of pick a person like Shonda. You know, she knows what things need. She knows what a cast needs. She was really spot on. Yeah, so I came in. We got better food. We had shorter days. I mandated that 12-hour day and a nine-day show because we had been shooting so many shows, 11, 12 days. You know, sometimes we would be finished at 12, but mostly it was 13, 14-hour days. You know, you can't do a crew like that. You know, I came up on fame being part of the crew, 
you know, doing the choreography, directing, and hanging out, mostly with the fellas, really. They were all fellas, pretty much, except for about three people. And I know that the energy of the show, that crew has got to feel good. They have to feel healthy. So we did a lot of this together, and I'm excited that the world, my God, you just won again, People's Choice Award. Yay, bravo. We were at West Side Story. We were at West Side Story, and you came out to, like, where were you? You won the best actress on the best. I love that about your staying power. You know what I'm saying? Yes, and I love that about our fans. I think that, you know, as much as we love each other, you know, these fans have received what we try to give them. You know, we understand the importance of the show. We know how many people this show has inspired. Mm, And I think mm. we really understand the power of the show, and we try to use it for everything we can. It's amazing, the power of the show, the influence of the show. I have to tell this one last little story. woman came up to me to tell me that this young man, part of her family, was not expected to live past 12 years old now watches Grey's Anatomy incessantly. He's 14, and he's determined to be a doctor now. Really? Because of Grey's Anatomy. Because of Grey's Anatomy, I know that this young man is going to overcome his medical challenges. It is in his head, and that's where it lives. Everything starts here, your head and your heart, and then it can happen. But Grey's Anatomy does this for people all over the world. So, gee, you've got to keep going with what this is, is, you know, what you bring to the show, the sensibility, the stories, keeping it on track. It makes a difference to the whole world. And I'm happy to be a part of a show that does that. Every show can't say that they're really making a difference in the world. We can say that out loud, out loud. It's so true. When you grow up and you want to be an actor, you think, you know, people think different things. But one of the things I think a lot of performers want is they want to move people through art, right? They want to have an impact and they want to make people feel. And we definitely get to do that with this show. Yeah. We get to make people feel. And I went to Kanye and Drake concert. I was like you last night, Debbie Allen. (laughs) I was burning the candle at both ends. I I did a full day. Woke up at 5.30, and then at 11 o'clock at night, I was in the Coliseum with Drake and Kanye. Wow, wow. And there's the lyrics in the song about getting the opportunity to move people and to bring people together. Mm. And music brings people together. Yeah, it does. And dance brings people together. Debbie Allen Dance Academy. We didn't even touch on that. But I know. We'll do this again. We'll have other conversations. Yeah. I'm glad you all got to hear a conversation between me and my number one lady. Me and my G, my girl. You are my girl. I love you, Ellen. We are the dynamic duo. <laughs> yes, I love you are. to pieces. I love you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for doing this, my love. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> 